0: The heart of a champion. What does it take to really truly be a champion? When you are in that position, and competition shows up, be ready to fight. Be ready to fight. Be ready to fight for your life. Be ready to give it everything you got. Make sure what you are up against understands that you are there to do business. Make sure everything that you believe in stays with you. If you believe that you are a champion, then stand on it. Because that is ultimately what champions are made for. Good morning, uh, Crossroads. Uh, it's, I'm Mark Royer. It's my honor to wrap up this series on the Heart of the Champion The Heart of the Champion is faithful. Uh, Before I uh, jump in, uh, a couple of things. Uh, One is, uh, as the pastor Tim and Rem have been bringing these messages from the life of David, uh, Marcel and I are the ones you see on that announcement slide that take people to the Holy Land. Many of the places that have been mentioned in this series are places that we stop and visit on our Holy Land site. I just, um, that one where Rim was describing the uh, fight between David and Goliath is a very uh, uncommercialized place. As a matter of fact, we pull the bus up, we get out, the bus has to keep going because it's a highway, go down into a ditch, up through kind of um, a jungle, Uh, and then pop out by this dry brook. Um, And you can see the hill. Well, we're told it was the hill Goliath was on. But you can also see Bethlehem off in a distance as well. And I cannot describe to you the feeling that it is to be there. Jeff Roush was with us on our last tour. He was the one that actually read that passage. Um, And Jeff became quite dramatic. I think it took him about Two hours to get completely through the passage, it, it was one of the memories of that trip was just rendition of the fight between David and Goliath um, and then we always help ourselves to the pebbles along the brook. Uh, the other thing about it is uh, I, I got these prices locked in before the inflation stuff really kicked in, and always we have people that are interested, after we take a trip, like we did in August, I get uh, people emailing me when, asking when the next trip is, you know, when are we going again, we want to go, and then when we come up with the date, then they want to put off to the next year. So I, wanna, I want you to be forewarned that just like everything else, I got the price in, locked in, this isn't just a sales pitch, because if you do this, put it off another year, I mean, it could be almost twice the cost. So if you've ever been inclined or feel that tug to go to the Holy Land, now is the time. For the price, but probably more importantly, for the times we live in. I mean, all of these things that are happening around us in our world is end of times things. And I know it's kind of a scary, quote-unquote scary thing to think in terms of, but as we were talking this morning, we really feel like from the book of Revelation, of the seven seals, the first, the second, the third, has just been opened. And uh, this whole thing, this is not just some sort of Eastern European conflict. Uh, Russia is the king of the north. Gog and Putin is Magog. And what they're doing in Ukraine will be what they end up will do with all the stands, all the countries that end in stand below them. Uh, and then after they conquer those, they will do peace treaties with those Arab countries because the crown jewel is always has been the holy city, Jerusalem. And scripture describes that pathway through the Valley of Armageddon uh, to Jerusalem. And I want to be able to share those sites with you before it's too late, before we can't any longer. So I invite you to come along. What we need at this point, unless you brought... Honey, did you bring the applications? No, no. See, I do everything you say. Yeah, yeah. We just watched that open range movie, Kevin Costner. And that Benning at the very end, he tells her to get back to the town, and she delays. And he says, "How's this going to work if you don't listen to me?" <laughs> yeah, I don't even try that. I just refer to the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we don't want to try that, right? Yeah, the heart of the champion is faithful. So First Kings two verses one through four uh, give us the undergirding to this teaching. This final step in this series, uh, and it starts out this way: as the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. Now, God had told David that that David would not be building this magnificent temple. That God had always promised to His people. Up in the, up until that time, it was the tabernacle in the wilderness. But God had bought. Uh, the threshing floor that we now, that is now Temple Mount, uh, Jethro's threshing floor, that Jethro, knowing he was the king, wanted to do a good deal for the king. And King David said, no, I will not take a deal on something that did not cause me to sacrifice to buy. And so it was that spot where he would build the temple. Um, one thing is David's death approached and he knew it, was he liquidated all of his assets. Just like we try to cling on to ours. Watch your IRA in these days, you know, go down the drain. David liquidated all of his assets to buy materials for this temple. And he knew that his son Solomon would be in charge of building it. That concept of charge is a very powerful idea. In the Hebrew concept for charge, which the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the concept uh, means uh, that everyone works for someone. Solomon, your boss is God. And I want to extend that on out because I think we live in a misnomer today. If your life belongs to God, so does your future. That the person who signs your paycheck is not really your boss. Your boss is the creator of the universe. Now, God just chooses that paycheck to meet your needs. But we live in a day and age where we worship the paycheck, and of course sign the paycheck. You know I'm, I'm referring to the old school actual paycheck you get, not to the modern day transfers that we get. Into our chair. The person who's responsible for approving what, how much money you make is not your boss. We live in a culture whereby we become enslaved to that. Now we're enslaved to a lot of things, but God makes it clear here with his concept for charge that Solomon's boss is God. He answers to God and God alone. Same thing is true for you and me. 1 Kings 2.2, I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. David is telling Solomon, we all die. There's a final step across. You do that step on your own, and it's all your own. doesn't matter how many people are around your bed. And I've been around the bedside of someone who's stepped across over 40 years of being a pastor dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Not one time did I step across with them. On that final step, it's you and God and only you and God. I'd say, let's deal with it now. As morbid as it sounds, let's deal with it now so that we're at peace with it later or all the time. I don't know what's happened to us. We so idolize life or the life I have that we forget that there's a bigger plane of existence in eternity and that this life is just temporary. It was always intended to be temporary. Take courage, he says in 1 Kings 2.2. That concept means, uh, that courage idea means to grow and develop because we grow and develop until the day we die. There's not some sort of curve whereby you've learned everything you need to learn now, and now you can rest on what you already know. Because about the time we do that, God's going to come along and knock us off the rocker again. Because what, if you're serious about God, God's going to be serious about his relationship with you. Everything you and I face, every circumstance, every situation... Every gain and every loss, God is trying to develop us. He's trying to get us to grow. He formed us from the dust of the ground, breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And then after that original sin, on the way out of the garden, where he put the flaming sword of the cherubim, he said that we were to till the ground from where we came. What he's saying is, we're going to grow now and develop until the day we die. And the things you face in your life, you can be courageous, in other words, see it as a growth, or you can complain. But I don't believe you can complain and grow at the same time. I don't believe you can have a spirit of complaint on your life, a spirit of negativity on your life, a a spirit that is critical on your life, and a spirit that's growing and developing at the same time. And it's up to you. You choose one or the other. (laughs) Of course, I've been around hyper-positive people, and they make no sense to me either. That's just crazy. I mean, hyper-positivity needs to be balanced with practicalness. But I know that so many of us look, I mean, you can have a series of things that happen, and people have different tolerances for different things. You know, with me, it's that chipper shredder I have, that Echo Bearcat. I spent a lot of money on that bad boy so I could throw the kitchen sink in there and it grinded up into bark mulch And if I didn't go throwing something too big in it and it, you know, made a terrible racket and sparks were flying everywhere and then it just quit working and I had to tow it on in. I mean, as I'm towing it in, I'm tow- by towing, I mean, put it up on the trailer, hook the pickup truck, haul it over to the repair shop. I mean, the whole time I'm saying, is there no God, you know? And you're thinking, all about a chipper shredder, right? Because my problems (laughs) you don't really care about. (laughs) Yeah, just being honest with you, right? I can tell you what my problem is because you're concerned about you. And you know how we excuse that? You do you, I'll do me. I mean, that comes from the armpit of hell, actually, that whole concept. I'm going to show you something that's worse in just a second there. But in whatever it is, and here's what I consider, because, I mean, this, you know, voice of mine that goes up and down, you know, that's my lung disease. Yeah, It's not contagious if you're setting up there close, yeah. Uh, It's a refractory condition I have and it affects my bronchial tubes, and it's chronic. And so, yeah, it's effort to talk and to project my voice. Um, and they only let me out of my cage once in a while to come and do it. So I've got a lot to say here. You're going to find out in just a second. It stinks to be you. Pastor Tim said um, that they're li- he's down in St. Petersburg. They're live there. Mishawaka's doing a park service. They're not recording this. (laughs) And so he was giving me kind of a free pass to say whatever it is I wanted to say, you know. So here it is. You know, it stinks to be you. So this broken voice of mine uh, is something that I deal with. But (laughs) it's not God's fault. You know, it's something that makes me depend more on God. But I've been in a lot of hospital rooms, a lot of doctor's offices, specialists, you know, you know, I have specialists on retainer, you know, and, and what I see it and view it is, no matter what goes wrong with your life, it gives you an opportunity to at least keep your testimony intact because there might be something or someone that your path crosses that needs to be, needs a touch from Jesus. So quit your complaining. The devil is the one that's behind your complaining spirit. You need to get that. You need to be delivered from that. Quit your complaining. We have a lot more blessings than we do curses. We got a lot more positive things we need to be thankful for instead of having a whiny, complaining spirit. Should I move on? I mean, I can stay on this for a long time. You got it? Okay, we good? Okay, how about this one? Further in verse two there. And be a man. <laughs> yeah, man up. Now, I'm gonna do a word study here with you for you to see this, because God is not sexist. And the Bible is not sexist. Now, a lot of these Bible translators are. I mean, these, this, is, um, this first Kings would be up. 5,000, to 5,000-year-old concept that's been translated in a bunch of different languages. And, I mean, I've been doing this. I, you know, actually, today is my spiritual anniversary. June the 12th was when I first said yes to Jesus in 1968. Yeah. Man. June the 12th, 1968... I was eight years old. And it was from that moment on I just dove into the Word of God. I had no drug pass, no alcohol, no party issue. The only probably major issue in my life is I've had a lifelong part a potty mouth. I do, I cuss. What's that? That's right. Okay, so that's right. That's true. It was kind of a COVID issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really? I really have, haven't I? Here's what happened. COVID came. Remember, they made us stay home. Dr. Royer said, if you're staying home with me, I don't want to hear that potty mouth of yours around this house. What choice do you have then? I, I mean, I could have stayed in the shop, out there in the shop, but you know, I got a furnace in the shop. I don't have a bed or a toilet. Toilet I could remedy, okay? No more details. Um, but it was like sleeping in the pickup truck. I did kind of think about it, but it was just easier to break myself of the potty mouth. The interesting thing, When I I don't know if you know this, I used to be lead pastor at Crossroads. Whenever I admit I had a potty mouth, I usually lost several families from the church. Yeah. And Now it doesn't matter to me whether you leave the church or not. Yeah, so knock yourself out. Yeah. <laughs> if, if that's so deeply offensive, you want to condemn me, go, well, I don't do it anymore though, right? Yeah, I did it so long I still think I do. Yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> That was funny. It was an attempt at humor anyway. (laughs) Let me get back on be a man, be a man. It's the Hebrew concept of hatus. And hatus means not body parts. It means a person or the personhood of champions. Let me do a 2022 declension of this because this is a Four to 5,000-year-old idea. When David told Solomon to be a man, he was telling him that no matter what you face in your life, take the high road. Whatever you face in life, let me bring it down here. Let me get the hay out of the loft down here so we can get at it. It's one of my Iowa farm illustrations. Here's what it is. Don't be petty. Don't be nitpicky. When David's telling Solomon to man up, he's saying, quit being so dramatic about stupid little things. Take the high road. Assume the best intention of others. Don't automatically go to the worst intention. Because I told you, I warned you. What you assume about other people's intentions, all you're doing is projecting what's true about yours. (sighs) Did that smart? Because that hit me right between the eyes, and I'm up here. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) gives me no pleasure. It doesn't, give me, it doesn't give me as much pleasure to say it as it sounded, like I was saying it. Because that hits me too, right? I project my intentions on what I assume about y'all's intentions. Be a man. Quit doing that. Snap out of that. You make the choice on what you're going to assume. You make the choice on whether you're going to be petty, petty and small or you're going to take the high road and assume bet, the best of people, the best of their intentions. You know, if their intentions are bad, you're going to find out soon enough they're a cutthroat anyway. So quit quiet, trying to scoop everybody on it. Then it goes on. 1 Kings 2, 3, Observe the requirements of the Lord your God. Boy, I tell you what. We don't like to hear stuff like this. <clears throat> and I'll tell you why. It's because we are so myopic in our culture, so self-absorbed, that we make everything about me, even my worship of God. And, the, and this idea of observe the requirements of the Lord your God is the idea that we need to guard our relationship with God the misnack, guard your relationship with God as if it's the highest priority of your life. See, here's the thing about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. We say yes to Jesus, that's true, but there comes a time, and check me out here, in Acts the second chapter. Every disciple that were standing there, that were standing there on the Mount of Ascension when Jesus ascended into heaven. And Jesus gave them instruction. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ascend in heaven and you're going to see me. When I ascend, as I'm ascending, I want you to head to the upper room in Jerusalem and wait on the paraclete. I want you to wait on the Holy Spirit. So I don't know what they did. They were gawking around, kind of intrigued by Jesus becoming an unidentified flying object. Maybe, I don't know. And they gawked so long the angels had to appear and said, what are you doing gawking into heaven? Get to that room like he told you. And that Acts 2 day of Pentecost is where the winds of change came. The tongues of fire separated came to rest upon each of them and they spoke in other tongues. That's the idea of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Guard your relationship with God. God as if it's your most priceless treasure. Quit playing footsie with the world. Quit holding hands with the enemy. The book of James, it says that anyone who chooses to be a friend with the world has chosen to be an enemy of God. You can't play with the world and be in God at the same time. Boy, you don't hear that very often, do you? We want to make Sundays fun. We want to make church all fun, right? Fun, fun, fun. Pretzels and Kona ices and bounce houses. It's all going to be fun. Aren't we having fun yet? And I want to offer you that it's not about you. I saw this thing. Yeah, you're right. That's good preaching. It's not popular. Just Yeah. This might be my last time ever here, but... (laughs) We live in a culture where we've made our church stuff all about me. We worship a God we will not pray to. It's got to be just the way I like it. And then we make the Bible into a cafeteria. We get our tray... I'll get to that in just a second. I know I'm going to get there. I want to talk about your relationship with the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. See, what we miss is we can both grieve, uh, quench the Holy Spirit and grieve the Holy Spirit. By quenching the Holy Spirit, it's when you've said yes to Jesus, he's filled you with your presence, and you choose to sin. It's your choice. You won't feel God is powerful because you can't be a friend with the world and a friend with God. I know you're not told that much. I know that might be a little bit of a shock. But let's snap out of it because if I'm telling you the truth, it'll resound in your heart. It's nobody's fault but your own because you've known it anyway because God's revealed it to you. That's why you sense conviction when you're tempted. Before you've sinned, that's the Holy Spirit challenging you to live a holy, righteous life, not a sinful one. But here's the truth. If you quench the Holy Spirit long enough, you grieve the heart of God. And what that means is my heart has become hardened. And once my heart is hardened, I don't hear God as much. And then I blame everybody else. (laughs) I find a new church because I'm not being fed here. Well, you're not fed anywhere unless you come hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You can blame everybody. Somebody else all day long, but the truth is you and I choose to be fed or not. First kings two three follow all his ways. This means stay in step with God, keep pace with God, get to know him rather than and I see this now um us uh, and and what it is is somebody spent. You know, three to five million dollars on a branding, it's this 15-second commercial that says, "Jesus gets me." Oh, I hope that makes you feel warm all over. Because the truth about it is, it's a fifth, New York City Fifth Avenue advertising branding technique, because that has nothing to do with your relationship with Jesus. It's not about whether Jesus gets me. It matters whether I get him. I need to be seeking, opening, yielding, submitting to God. Not waiting to hear my ears being tickled by how much Jesus loves me and he gets me. Because Jesus does not even factor in sin in your life. You know that? You say, well, I'm just being a human. (laughs) What the Holy Spirit factors in, if he's spoken to your heart about something, the only thing he's factoring in is your obedience. That if he reveals the truth, uncovers it to you, instead of ignoring it and grieving and quitching and then grieving the Holy Spirit, God's factoring in that when he speaks to your heart about something, you're gonna listen. He never has factored in sin. He told Adam and Eve, You got thousands of trees in the garden you can eat of. There's just one you're not to eat of. Yeah, don't touch the purple gorilla in the corner. what was it to one of the boys years ago when they were just little, they were all afraid about something, stewing, stressing. They were just little, three or four or five, something like that. And we were putting them, uh, mom was putting them to bed and I was kind of standing in the doorway like I do. Imposing and threatening myself on the situation, right? I'm standing and I heard... The oldest say, Mama, this and this and this This is really bothering me. This is scaring me. And Marcel says something like, I don't want you to think about polka-dotted panda bears. Don't think about polka-dotted panda bears. And she kind of eased out of the room. I didn't get it either. But all I could think about was What? That's all I could see, polka-dotted panda bears. She gets about halfway down the hallway, and I heard his little voice, Mom, Mom. She goes back, Mom, all I could think about are those polka-dotted panda bears. Which is the point exactly, right? Yeah. See, we've, got to, we've allowed ourselves to become twisted in an easy believism. And most people don't tell you the truth because they're afraid it's going to hurt your feelings or you're going to be offended. And You know, the great falling away at the end of times comes from easily offendable Christians. Scripture says, perfect peace are they that love the word of God and nothing shall offend them. If it's the truth, I accept it for my life. It's not about Jesus gets me, it's that I get him. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. We need to be protective. We're protective of God's statutes because the word of God, and here, here's, here's the idea of the cafeteria is with the Word of God, with the Bible, we treat the Bible like it's a cafeteria, where I have my tray, and I'm picking what I want and what I don't want, and we're scooting down there like that. I'll take a big helping of that. Yeah, I'll take some of that. Then we get to the jello section of the Bible and then you know you have the red jello the red, you know the green jello the green jello with the carrots in it and we're like green jello with the carrots in it people still eating that a lot of us have discounted a lot of the bible because we think it's the green jello with the carrots in it now my point isn't that the green jello with the carrots in it is all that great. But it's there, and what God makes available to me, I need to take and eat every bite of every plate that's before me. That he, It's not some sort of accident. His Holy Spirit gives me his word so that he can give me a personal prescription into my life, my day-to-day life, on how I deal and process my life, but you'll never really get the Word of God until you allow it to get into you. you got to read it. Absorb it. Believe it. Apply it. Let the Holy Spirit speak it into you. As you read the Bible, open yourself up to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. Have you tuned me out or are you with me there? I don't need a bunch of amens, but I've got to, at least feel it, that you understand what I'm saying here because the enemy does not want you into the word of God. He wants you to believe this lie that Rob Bell was propagating up here, that God speaks through everything and the Bible's just a little thing with all these other things, that he speaks through all the other noises. A lot of pastors bought into that crap. That's exactly what it was and it's misled a couple of generations. You say, well, you must be a legalist. I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. But it doesn't matter to me. Label whatever you want to. I'm not big into labels. But here's what I believe about being protective of God's command as a personal code of wisdom in your life. Last two things. I stand before... Oh, that's, that's why the worship team comes out. I say the last two things. Okay, yeah. Okay, worship team, I say last two things, but we all know this is going to take a few minutes. Okay, so keep eating your donuts back there, or whatever it is you do. Yeah. So when I stand before the gas pump, I mean, it's like... It's changed from the time I pulled in on what it said on the sign to what it's saying right now. And I can multiply two numbers together, right? And I mean, it's happening so fast. And sure, there's enough blame to go around. But let me give you one very important biblical concept that will make you not have such anxiety and concern about going to the grocery store or the gas pump? I mean, if I had one thing you could do that would absolutely ensure that it would would not have to be a concern for you, would you do it? Don't answer that, because... Five of the six of you that are here, five out of every six of you are not. It's just a fact, you are not. Five five out of every six of you is not. But I'm going to bring it up anyway because it's the word of God. There are five principles in the word of God about how we operate our personal finances. Settle the ownership issue, number one, and tithe. Number two, get out and stay out of debt. Number three, be fair and honest in every dealing. Number four, live within your means. And number five, plan your exit. Number one, who does it belong to? Who does this car belong to? Who does the gas that goes in it belong to? I got to settle that. If it's you, knock yourself out. (laughs) I can't help. If you want to take that on you, if you want to worry about it, I can't help. But if you want a way to be above it and rise above it, the scripture gives us the way. I settle the ownership issue, and then I give God for his work. The first 10% of my increase. The scripture says that is an absolute guarantee that God will not only cover and protect you, He will bless your life beyond. He said, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that the earth cannot even contain it. But I have to get this settled first. How do I prove that it all belongs to God? Is if I bring the first, not the second, not the last, Not the money I have left over, not the 10 or 15 or 20 bucks a week. I know a lot of pastors do that. If you're not tithing, if you're not giving, try 20 bucks a week and see what God does. No, no, that that doesn't work. The only thing that works is if you get it settled, you settle who it all belongs to and then bringing the first 10%. I've been doing that since 1968, and I cannot describe to you the blessings that will come into your life so that you can bless the work of God, that you can bless the life of others. But until you decide and then actually do it, you're on your own. If you're not tithing, in other words, I mean, since I'm there all the way, okay, worship team, I'm getting ready to do my last point here. I want to make sure these folks are, I get it completely out there. If you're not tithing, you really are operating on your own. You want to blame, point your finger at who it's ever fault it is, knock yourself out. The truth about it is, this old world is going to get a lot worse because we're living at the end of time. And you and I desperately need God's protection. Then the last thing, um, where's that passage? Uh, Be protective. Yeah, there we go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always set on the throne of Israel. Here's the faithful follower of God is the heart of the champion, the heart of taking the high road. But we got to settle it first. Father, I just ask that you would cover us today. There have been a lot of challenges here for all of us but we truly do settle it today and surrender and yield ourselves to you. You said that we need to cast our cares upon you, and we do that now and forevermore. And we said together, amen.